Well, welcome to Q&A. So this is our post-Easter Q&A. Normally we do this live after the service, but we switched it up to give you guys the opportunity to text in questions from all three services. So we do have some questions this morning and we'll get started. Um, appreciate you sending in questions. Um, and if you, for any reason, you're listening to this later and you miss the Easter Sunday services, we would really encourage you to go back and listen. Um, as Doug taught through the, really the implications of the resurrection beyond right. just our eternal um, salvation. And so really powerful and would encourage you to go back and listen to that. Um, first question here. Um, so when you're talking about pain and the resurrection's implication right. of living in pain, um, it's not healthy to deny pain and not deal with it or be honest about it. Um, how do we not make light of our pain while not letting it own us? Yeah, that's a so a good, great question regarding pain because pain is such a reality in our lives. Mm -hmm. First of all, um, quick review: the implication of the resurrection beyond our eternal salvation is that it gives, we said, perspective to mm -hmm. our pain. And it gives perspective to our pain based on uh, a section in 2 Corinthians that I think might be helpful to read again. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us, an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. And then chapter 5, two verses later, starts this way. For we know that if the earthly tent with which, with which is our house is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So what I took from that perspective is that there's a dramatic uh, difference regarding the way we see our pain in this present life when it is when that's all we see versus when we compare it and that's what this passage does we compare our affliction now with the weight of glory in all eternity and so we simply um, in weighing it out went uh, in comparison now this is eternity, and this is the hardest thing that, that we will ever face in our life. That could be interpreted, and so that's why I appreciate the question. That could be interpreted as if I am making light mm -hmm. or minimizing pain in this life. I'm not. Um, and so I think the question was, don't minimize it, don't. Um, mm -hmm. How do we not make light of our pain while not letting it own us? Right, so not saying it's light in comparison to eternity is not saying it's light. It's light in comparison. So uh, I think the passage is intended to do what the question says there is to right-size it, to right-weigh it, mm -hmm. since we're talking about weight, to right-weigh it in regard to eternity. We have to see our lives as simply a dot in comparison to eternity being a never-ending line. We have to look at the joy in this life as 
It's joy, but it's a temporary joy, and there's going to be a joy in heaven that's a never-ending, fully complete, uh, without any deduction or without any absence or lack. It will be full and complete and eternal. So it's not minimizing it to weigh it in comparison to Mm. eternity. Uh, When we lose sight of the weight of eternity, that's when, in the language of the question, it can start to own us. So Jesus, uh, Jesus was honest about his pain. I read for us on Sunday, uh, and I would remind John chapter 12, verse 27, uh, Father, my heart's troubled. He was considering the pain of the cross. And he said, my heart's troubled. Uh, save me from this hour? But it's for this hour that I came. And Hebrews 12 talks about he endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy of sitting down at the right hand of the Father. So it's about comparison. So we acknowledge um, life does have hard, heavy things. Mm -hmm. Not, Not diminishing that. And I think part of the hard is... It's tempting for us to look at one another's lives and go, well, I have it harder than you have it in this way, and I have it harder in this way than you have it. And instead of, and here I think is key, instead of weighing our pain against eternal joy, Hmm. we tend to weigh our pain against one another's pain. Right. And when we feel like ours is heavier, ours is bigger than, than others, then it starts to own us. So my encouragement would be, is not at all to diminish. Things are hard. Um, you know, I know lots of folks who live in really hard situations. And I would never dismiss and go, ah, but it's going to be all good in eternity. So I'm not dismissing it. But I am saying what the scripture says, that it's good to weigh it in light of eternity. So was there a second part to that question that maybe I don't want to make sure I... I, um, no, I don't think so. The first part was just it's not healthy to deny pain and not right. deal with it, as you said, right. or to be honest about it. But, um, but yeah, they're just questioning yeah. about not letting it own us. I will say this, Tracy. I do think um, there was a time in my life where, um, because of the brokenness of my family growing mm-hmm. up, um, and that by God's grace there had been real uh, a coming to see that with faith, that the Lord was taking that hard in my life and working it for good in my life. That there were those who said to me, Doug, I think you're living in denial. Hmm. And it's almost like, well, if you're not grieving over it, or if it's not ruling you in some way, you're denying it. And I could honestly say, I don't think I'm denying it. Um, it's true. I have shed lots of tears over it. I have felt the pain of it. I experience, continue to experience the pain of it with, you know, with every holiday, with every wedding, with every special occasion, broken family, those realities hit. But I was fully convinced that I could trust the Lord in the midst of that hard. So uh, I would just be careful to not think that if I um, am not re- being ruled by it, that I am somehow in denial. 
I don't think those are your two options. No, I don't think <laughs> be so. Be ruled by it or be in denial. I don't think there's the options. I think we can see it through the lens of Scripture that right-sizes it and right-weighs it. And be aware of the comparison uh, trap of mm-hmm. thinking that my life is harder than someone else's life and therefore my lack of joy, my lack of victory over temptation, my lack of love is excusable because, well, my life's hard and yours isn't. Right. Or vice versa. Yeah. Comparison is dangerous. Oh, my word. Yes. Because yeah. we always get to, we, if we want to lose, we can always find somebody that we can lose to. Oh, absolutely. And then justify. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Um, next question. So if the resurrection makes new life possible, what about the pain or repercussions left over from an old life? Huh. Uh, okay, so if the resurrection makes new life possible, so mm-hmm. we looked at, uh, I think it was four on Sunday, four implications of yes. the resurrection. Mm-hmm. The fourth one was uh, the resurrection of Jesus makes the power, divine power, to live a new life possible. I'm not mm-hmm. just saved from my past. I'm empowered to live a new present and future. So, what about the pain of my past? Well, first and foremost, uh, the privilege of knowing Christ and the power of the cross and the resurrection is that my sin is forgiven. There is therefore now no condemnation, uh, Romans 8.1, for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, condemnation off the table from the Lord. Uh, You and I have a capacity to whole beat ourselves up mm-hmm. for bad decisions and Absolutely. you know we know we we knew what was right we did what was wrong mm-hmm. uh we confessed it to the lord we know he forgives us but we still beat ourselves up well i shouldn't say what you do i i still have the no, capacity i, have, I, I yeah. still have the capacity to be, beat myself up and act like well uh, well i was a fool i deserve it mm. so let's not um Let's not hold ourselves guilty for what Christ has forgiven. So that's number one. Number two, there is a reality that uh, sin has consequences that forgiveness does not take away. Sin has consequences that forgiveness does take away. Condemnation, the wrath of God, eternal punishment. That's taken off the table. Mm -hmm. But... um, you know, if I sin against my wife or I sin against my kids, I can experience forgiveness from the Lord for those things, and I can forgiveness seek forgiveness from them, and they can forgive me. But the reality is that there will still be consequences of broken trust and trying to rebuild trust and the tarnishing, if you will, of the reputation and an unwillingness to listen uh, or a hesitation to listen. So um, I think it's unfair to suggest that if I'm forgiven, there are no more consequences left. Right. There are, there are consequences. People make uh, a foolish decision, drink and drive, and they can be forgiven, but there's consequences, consequences. less in terms of driving restrictions and that financial uh, liabilities, all those things. So I think it's unfair to think that that would be the case. That does not in any way diminish, though, the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit to live a new life, 
to build new confidence in relationships with others who see the change, not a perfection, but see a change of heart that says, I'm seeking to do right and live right and to honor and to uh, be a person who is trustworthy, but it's you can lose trust like that, and but you can't gain trust back like that. Right. And that's just a, a reality. Because I've failed doesn't mean that I need to continue to fail. So there's a, a lot of tangents to that question, but first and foremost, uh, I want to recognize that the power of the gospel is that it, it speaks to my past, it speaks to my present, and it speaks to my future. That I am forgiven, I am being forgiven, I will be forgiven, that there is now no condemnation for my past, my present, or my future. And, and I have power to live in a new way that I did not have before I came to Christ. And what a powerful part of a testimony when you now have that ability right. to live a new life and to be differentiated in that. And it's an incredible opportunity to share the work that the Lord's done yeah, in your I, life. I had a neighbor who said, uh, I'd like to be a Christian, and I'd like to, but I, but I know what, how a Christian is intended to live. And I look at myself, and I, I just wouldn't be able to live that life. And I was like, yeah, you're right. You can't because you're unredeemed. <laughs> the Christian life is a supernaturally empowered life that until you come to Christ, you don't have that supernatural power. So uh, sometimes we interpret the life that God has called us to live through uh, who we used to be, not through who we have been made through the power of the Spirit. Mm, it's a good differentiation. Mm, yes. Yeah. Powerful reminder. Um, so a question here about uh, what are the historical evidences, or some, sorry, they yeah. said some of the historical evidences for the resurrection. Yeah, when I introduced the um, the message on Sunday. I said, generally every year, I try to answer one of two questions, either historical evidence for the resurrection or the spiritual implications of the resurrection. Because in 2020 and 2021, I had done more uh, physical historical evidence. I didn't deal with that at all. Uh, but I can say quickly, um, well, I could say most quickly, you could go back and watch Easter 2020 and Easter 2021 and get some. <laughs> it's all there. <laughs> yes. And where would that be, Tracy? Oh, on our website, under Sermon Archive. <laughs> there you go. Under Sermon Archives, you could find that. But I don't mean to just throw it off on that. The, one of the most powerful testimonies in the quarter law is the eyewitness testimony. When it comes to the resurrection of Jesus, you have unbelievable weight of eyewitness testimony. You have hundreds, hundreds of eyewitnesses spread over 40 days, scattered over 80 miles. That's overwhelming. It's not one person, one time, one place. Right. Because then you're like, okay, how much do you have to pay him? You know, is that really valid? But... Hundreds of people who are scattered over 80 miles and those eyewitness testimonies, it's not that they could give testimony, those eyewitness experiences were spread out over 40 days. So 
to deny that level of eyewitness testimony um, is just, that doesn't carry weight. That's a revealing, quite frankly, of, I don't want to believe the facts. And, you know, all of us have kind of said at one time, well, don't confuse me with the facts. Because <laughs> I've already made up my mind. I don't want to be changed. The, the facts for the, revel- the, uh, the resurrection in terms of eyewitness testimony is, is absolutely huge. The power of the transformed life of the apostles, you, you can look at the men prior to the resurrection and look at those same men in the life that they lived after the resurrection, powerfully different again. I think that's demonstration of the risen Jesus who said, I'm not only going to rise from the dead, but I'm going to ascend to the Father. And when I ascend to the Father, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit into you and you shall have power, supernatural power to live a, a, a new life. So the transformed life is an evidence of the promise and the reality of the resurrection. And then the, the biblical account that of how it was sought to be covered up. And if you look at their attempt to cover it up, actually the text unveils how their, their attempt to cover it up or to keep it from happening, the guard, the amount of guard present, and how it still occurred. There still was a missing Jesus that they couldn't, they couldn't um, defend that, no, here he is. They couldn't say anything but, well, they stole his body. So in an attempt to defeat the promise of the resurrection, they put a guard, uh, a heavy guard, to prevent it what they thought would be a stealing to do a resurrection hoax, and it just became all the more evidence that he did rise from the dead. So those are three quick Mm -hmm. uh, ways to, again, look at the resurrection of Jesus and go, not everybody believes it, but that's not because there's not heavy factual historical reason um, for that belief. It's there, but not everybody believes it. Right. Well, we appreciate the questions that you're sending in, and we want to make sure you know about upcoming. So this week, we're going to start a series in Nehemiah. Yes, we are. Uh, We're going to go to the Old Testament, and uh, there's a man in the Old Testament called Nehemiah who plays a, a very vital role at a unique time in the history of Israel. And his role in that day, I think, speaks powerfully to how God would want to use you and I and you in being God's instrument for fulfilling the purposes of God on this planet during our lifetime. So I think it will not only be a good time to understand part of the work of God unfolding in the Old Testament, most powerfully, it'll be an encouragement and an equipping of us to be God's instruments uh, for good and for healing and for hope in our current world. So, starts Sunday, Nehemiah. We're really excited. We really encourage you, if you've been watching online, to come join us in person. Um, we're going to have some interactive elements on Sunday. So, so. I met—I won't take long, but I, I had, uh, again, the privilege of meeting on Sunday— Someone who said, I started watching 
when you were in Genesis. So that was pre-Ephesians. Wow. Genesis 2020, <laughs> they started watching, and they lived pretty far away, but they made it uh, here on Sunday, sat on the front row to be with us on Easter Sunday. So if you've been watching and haven't ever made us here, we'd love to have you, and I'd love to Absolutely. meet you. Absolutely. That'd, That'd be, be fun. Awesome. That'd be great. Well, thanks for joining us. Hope you guys have a great day.